put my head down and I hand them the B disc. And I just think like, with God's grace, may this return to me. Willkommen zu Clock oder Counter. Mein Name ist Ilka Simon und mit mir hier sind Ryan Young und James Wiseman. Awesome. Welcome to the You're podcast. You're up, Ryan. I have no idea what's going on. <laughs> Thank you. All right. I think first thing on our list is new Jammer Diaries from Duke. I think Ilka is going to give it the update this time. Okay, from today's jam. Yeah, um, yeah, we had a really nice jam today with, I thought it was quite tough wind, but they were like quite um, happy about the wind. So it was changing from time to time and it was incredible to see how much they've learned from the last time we've seen them. Um, to be honest, there was Montana. She's a super new jammer. I think she had her first appearance when I was already here and her throw um, is super good already which I admire because it took me ages to learn like a kind of acceptable throw and hers is already really good and um, Ray he's I don't know how long has he been playing James you know maybe five or six months And he was working on the crank, the behind the back pull uh, crank, um, so against, and he couldn't manage it the last time I've seen him. And today it was just, he did it in so many <laughs> varieties. It's like crazy. I asked him at some point, I asked him, do you even know how difficult it is what you're doing? Do you understand <laughs> that this is against? And um, he was like, uh, no, I don't understand <laughs> that it's difficult. But yeah, it was great to see and Will, well, I think I haven't seen half of the moves he's able to do. So, and the weather here is great. I've been, uh, I heard from all the people in Germany that it's raining all the time. And here, since I'm here, it was raining once, I think. It's like constantly sunny and it's a little bit spooky too that it's so warm in January. But yeah, we had a, we had a great time today and james by the way also he did some really really cool stuff like no one cares about that though <laughs> <laughs> true <laughs> true I, i cared i was just at some point i was watching and thought it's it's great like the um the upside down mac i love that one i was that i think was i learned great. it from ryan honestly i learned it from matt <laughs> there you go so here we are again matt it all ends up It all ends up with Matt. He's he's our one true god. That reminds me of that story. Reminds me of the PhD student that was like went into the lab and like saw something impossible. And he's like, "Well, maybe physics doesn't work how I thought or how everyone works." He like shows it to his professor, and the professor's like, "No, this is not how it works." But it was like a major breakthrough, and no one knew. But because the PhD student didn't know it was impossible, or that's didn't know what the real rules were like he made a breakthrough discovery i didn't tell that story in the right order but it's well, like i'll clean it up with saying that was daniel's strength when daniel and i were first learning how to play and we've been playing like two weeks he's just working on like upside down back rolls and like spinning honky donk badonka donk he had no conception <laughs> of there being a natural order to learn things he was just like that's the hang i'm gonna learn that and he would And there's something to be said for it. I mean, it's not 
obvious that there's any building blocks to doing certain really difficult moves. So if they really fire you up, there's no reason. Sometimes there's no reason not to just learn it. Yep. I think we just don't know the proper order yet, but there, I think there isn't. True. So what else do we have on our agenda today? Okay. So first we're going to do underrated, overrated, or properly rated. And then we're going to do some listener questions. Okay. And I think the way we said we're going to do it is we each have different questions and I assume we'll all answer each question. Exactly. And we'll go round robin. It's like one, then the next person. So I think we should start with our esteemed guest, Ilka Zimon. So I'm taking my first topic. So, um, yeah, I was, I wanted to ask you, what do you think about uh, making videos and putting them on the internet for spreading the gem? Okay, I'm first. I think underrated because we need a body of content for people to like relate to. And the more content there are, like, the more chance that some new person will be able to relate to it. And I think that's really important. So it's underrated. Like it doesn't happen enough. That's what's so great about TikTok. It's so easy to make 15 seconds of content and post it. And the algorithm will match it with someone it matches with, which is great. I think Ryan's right, but I'm going to go with overrated with the big emphasis on Ilka saying for spread the jam purposes. So I've said repeatedly that I think it's incredibly important to develop as a player if you're able to take videos and watch them. Being able to see yourself is a really important visualization technique, but it also helps you see what looks nice, what looks the way you want it to be, and what looks the way you don't want it to be. Because a lot of times you think you look a certain way when you're playing, but when you watch it back, you think, oh no, I, I wish I'd known I'd look like that. For spreading the jam purposes, I do think you're right. And I think if we were all posting videos out there, it would create the sense that freestyle is this big current thing that lots of people are doing. But at the moment, it's not really working that way. So I think unless everyone's doing it, it's kind of overrated because no one's really looking at these videos that are new freestylers or potential converts. And I feel bad because when I started making videos, a lot of people were making videos and it felt like this really cool communal process. And now I feel like just me and Edo are making videos <laughs> and like not a lot of people are making videos and it's starting to have a negative effect where it's like, if you search on YouTube for freestyle videos, it's all me and Edo. And I've been just taking down videos that I made. So there's like less and less of them, but I wish there was more out there. And there are people like, I want to give credit. Like I always making lots of videos for a while. Tom Leitner still makes a lot of videos, but if you're a new freestyler, please put out the videos. Like I know it seems like this super narcissistic exercise, but it's helpful to everybody. We want to see it. You know, I'm sure some people judge me and are like, what a joke. This guy's like putting out videos all the time, but like, just do it. I mean, it's not necessarily for you and it's helpful to the community. So don't feel bad about it. Cool. What is so focus? Yeah, well, I'm between properly rated and overrated, like just by how much time we have and how much time the community puts into creating content on the internet. And like, I think for spreading the job, like we need a lot of ways. I don't know if you have the English terms, like a lot of ways go to Rome. We have something like that in, in German. Well, in America, we say in a very poetic phrase, 
There are many ways to skin a cat. Okay, that's <laughs> okay. I won't use that one, but you know what I mean. I mean, there are many ways, and this um, uh, publicity, this Nike publicity, attracted a lot of people, and I think a lot of people in Europe started because of that. So there is definitely some spread the jam value in videos, but um, maybe we don't spend enough time to just talk to people at the site. And also, I'm not sure if the very technical stuff and difficult stuff is really attracting the people in the end. And in our community, we put a lot online, which is super advanced. And not sure if this just doesn't really attract people to start, start it. Maybe there are other ways, but I would go for properly rated as, but yeah, that would be nice to find more ways to see, um, yeah, to use our time. Maybe there are more things we can think of than just videos. But It's almost like, I feel like if I was synthesizing what we said, it's almost like it's very valuable for spreading the jam among people who are already freestylers, but it's not so valuable for attracting people that aren't freestylers. Yeah. Okay. All right. Me next. Underrated, overrated, or properly rated? The B disc. What is that? That's the yellow oh, B disc that we've B, talked about I all guess. weekend. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. I was I was talking like B, like the letter B, like that you have a A, you know, plan and B plan. Or yeah. Oh. Oh, well, I'm not so excited about that, like James. Because <laughs> <laughs> so, overrated on the beat. <laughs> it's a, in, well, it's a, it's a good disc. It's like, yeah. I mean, in general or just for James? I, I'm, I've never seen anyone being so fired up by the B disc like James is. So. <laughs> well, let me just pull the knife out of my heart. And say that the B disc is wildly underrated because there is no rating you could assign to it that would truly realize its value. So it's funny that you asked this because we've been talking about this all weekend because Ray has been asking me for a B disc and I was just like, no, I will not give you a B disc. And I told them a story, which is that at the beginning of this year, a person came up to me and was interested in freestyle. And he says, I have a disc and I want to show it to you. Let me know if it's a good freestyle disc. And he pulls out a yellow B disc. And I was like, oh, like, I will give you 10 discs if you give me that B disc. And he said, no, I, this is my <laughs> disc. I like this disc. And I was like, I will give you my car, my house and my dogs for that disc. <laughs> like, whatever it takes to get that used B disc. And I think probably once a year I have a moment. This all won't happen anymore because I'm almost out where I'll have given all my disc away and some new player will come up and they'll be really fired up. And all I have is one last yellow B disc <laughs> and they have to be really fired up. And I just like put my head down and I hand them the B disc. And I just think like, with God's grace, may this return to me. <laughs> <laughs> okay. For me, I think for everyone but James, it's underrated. It is the best feel of plastic like it's the fastest disc for how it feels but for james i think he overrates it purely because the b discs are printed on heavy plastic they're like on the standard deviation it's like three quarters of the way to the heavy side on the scale of light and heavy discs which 
hurts my hands when I play with it. So even though it feels amazing when it's delaying and I'm skidding it and it's just too heavy. Well, I'm weight blind, so I can't even tell the difference. <laughs> All right. So I'll ask my first question and I want Ilka to answer this first. Overrated, underrated, or properly rated winning? <laughs> so, well, we can put one of my topics together with that one because um, I would like ask the question about tournaments in general, if they are overrated, properly rated, or underrated. Um, and also there, it's hard to say because it's... Um, Different for everyone, I guess. Um, Some people need to win to stay fired up, maybe, or to... Well, I told the story today when I had my first tournament, um, which I didn't want to attend. I became fourth with uh, Yasha back in the day. We became fourth out of six because we didn't drop, but we couldn't only do like three moves. And that fired me up so not becoming last on this tournament was was actually very motivating so it can have a motivating factor me personally uh winning is overrated because i really more appreciate the process of developing a routine i love to get my partner, like get to know my partner better, like to put something together to both put our um, soul and uh, character into routine, find compromises, the whole thing. And um, so in the end, I want to show the routine, of course. I put a lot of work into my routines and I want to show them at least once. And I sometimes fall in love with the routines I'm, I'm doing. So I'm... Yeah, I want to show them. And of course, I want to be um, judged in a in a fair way. Yeah, so, but it's not about winning in the end. Like, I, do, I don't think many people believe that, that I, for me, it's not so much about winning. Um, it's, it's, of course, it's nice if you win, but I prefer to not win and play well than not playing well and win. If that makes sense. So, okay. Yeah. I think a lot of people feel that way. Okay. For me, it's properly rated because a lot of the weight of winning is dependent on expectations. And if you set your expectations right, then winning kind of falls in line. Like for James right now, winning is the expectation. So it's probably not as valuable as it is to someone else who has never won before. And yeah, that's my take. (laughs) What about you, James? Yeah, I mean, I was going to say that it's properly rated initially. I think winning's really great when you haven't won before or you want to win a few times at different levels of tournaments. Like you kind of want to win your first regular tournament, your first major, your first worlds, whatever. And that's a really good feeling because it's your first time to the mountaintop. And there's something very validating as you become a better player to realize that you're now good enough to beat other top players. And also, people are really excited for you when you're moving up the kind of player skill perception that people have of you. So that's really enjoyable. But like anything in life, there's huge diminishing returns. So at a certain point, winning stops bringing you that same kind of joy and can become more negative. Where it's not so much that you want to win. It's just that it's painful to lose. Because as you say, 
a lot of it is about expectation. And once people expect you to win, when you win, you don't really get any accolades, but when you lose, you get kind of like a ha ha, like they didn't make it. But there's one other aspect of it that I do think is important and is the only thing that could get me to underrated, which is with exceptions, my personal view at least has always been the moment before you win a world title, you are this good. And the moment after you win the world title, you didn't get better just because you won that world title. So how good you are at freestyle isn't necessarily determined by how well you do in competition. So I think sometimes we get a little bit too caught up in counting people's titles versus just thinking about what can they actually do as freestylers. There's plenty of people that maybe haven't won or didn't win very much, but are incredible freestylers and lots of random reasons kept them from winning. They couldn't compete as much. They didn't have the money to travel. They wanted to play with their friends and not necessarily the best players or whatever, bad luck. So I hope that people view competition as a fun thing to do, but not the end all be all. That's not why you should freestyle. Okay. That makes sense. Okay. I think we're back. Oh, I feel like me and Ryan should also answer the tournament side of things. Like Ryan, what do you think about tournaments? Wait, like winning the tournament? No, just tournaments as a concept. Were they underrated, overrated, or properly rated? Going to tournaments, attending tournaments, the idea of tournaments, the role in our sport. I think they're properly rated. Yeah, because actually, no, they're they're underrated. I think the one the reason they're underrated is because they bring us together, and it's kind of like we need these points where everyone is thinking, kind of like I don't know. Everyone's singing the same thing when they go to a tournament. They're like, I'm going to go there and I'm going to play Frisbee really hard with all my friends. And like, you need a tournament to do that. Yeah, I, I kind of agree. But I guess the natural question is whether something like a beach weekend or a jam weekend could fill the same role as a tournament. And my initial inclination is no. I also and think And I no. hate to say that. Yeah, because yeah, I love at this point in my career, especially with what I just said about winning, I far prefer beach weekends, jam weekends to tournaments. I get a lot more out of it, especially just in terms of getting to freestyle. But I think one thing you've told me a lot about is the value, especially to newer players, of the goal of competition and the idea of preparing and learning in order to perform better at a competition, which can be super valuable to them as new players. But then I also wonder, like if I went up to a new player and I said, there's a tournament this weekend in town. Do you want to come versus we're renting a house at the beach? Do you want to come jam with us? I feel like the tournament would be easier to go to because one's more like social. It's like, do you feel close enough with these people to want to go to the beach weekend with them versus a tournament? It sounds like a public thing where anyone could come freestyle or not. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, way more approachable even. Yeah. You wouldn't think that initially, but it is. Yeah, well, I I love tournaments. I love competitions, and um, I'm not sure if I if I still would like if I still did the sport if there wouldn't have been tournaments. But at the same time, we are now in a very competitive bubble, so most people I know are competitive people. Or they are coming to tournaments and they would not go to normally to just a jam weekend. But then in every community, there are people you don't meet. Like in Cologne, there are players 
who are really good players who don't go to any tournaments because they just don't like to go to tournaments. And I know them, but many people don't know them. And I sometimes ask myself if there could be another format or if, you know, if there could be another bubble, something which could could be created where you get these people more because they go to a tournament once and then think, oh my God, no, that's totally not for me. You know, these people are way too crazy about competition. The yeah. casual. So maybe that could exist if we also put more work into that. Who I'm going to kind of flip it a little bit and say another value of tournaments, though, is they have a legitimizing effect. So I think the fact that despite how small our sport is, there's a very healthy tournament scene makes our sport seem more professional and established. And that can have appeal to new players. So I think, for instance, when I first started, I met Dan Yarnell and he told me, I won't be able to play this weekend because I'm flying to Berlin to compete in the world championship. And I was like, wow, that is amazing. I mean, this person's flying. Berlin sounded like Timbuktu to me. It sounded like the <laughs> farthest place in the world. And I'd never imagined that I would go there like twice a year, every year for 10 years. So I think that has a certain amount of value, but kind of like what you said, they can cut both ways because for some people that's going to make it too intense, at least to go to. Like I'd, I don't think a lot of people would necessarily feel comfortable going to the world championship after playing for one year. But if they knew what it was like, they would know that it's totally normal to do that. I do want to, I think growing our casual scene is the way to spread the jam. That's my long-term theory is if we can grow the casual scene, our sport will like, that's when we hit the million FPA members. Well, then I'll take this opportunity to ask one of my questions, and I'll start with Ilka. Overrated, underrated, or properly rated, the Durham freestyle scene. <laughs> and let me just say, because I have a couple of questions like this, normally to ask a guest these kinds of questions would be fishing for compliments. But luckily with Ilka, <laughs> I'm playing a very dangerous game here, because Ilka could very easily be like, overrated, it's terrible, I hate it. <laughs> It's hard to say, like, because, I mean, it's too early, I guess, to ask that question because people are not yet talking about it because they haven't met them. So got a lawyer here. She's like, well, like, what does it mean to rate it? I mean, until we have the benchmarks established. It's, uh, it's just too early. What I honestly, what I find a little weird about the situation is that I grew up and I came into the sport because of friends. So every time I played frisbee with people, I'm befriended with them. And so these, this group is way younger and they become friends with each other now. And then they go for like to eat something. But we are not joining. So we are like staying back and let them go as, and it's, it's just different, you know, it's just a different, um, situation. They so, can't drink um, beer yet. They're not old enough, Elka. They can't go to the same place as you go. <laughs> I know. It's just imagine we're leaving the gym and Ilka's like, does it bother you that they're not friends with you? <laughs> it's like, I was like, wow, Ilka. Well, it kind of a little bit bothered me. Like, so why harsh. don't they invite us to, to, to Because to we're not allowed to eat in the Duke <laughs> dorm cafeteria. <laughs> 
so uh, so yeah, that's a different approach, right? So for me, this is a this is a sport I do with friends, and so and that's very important to me. And I will totally try to become friends with them because otherwise it would be very awkward <laughs> after a while if it's, as soon as they come out of of this town and go into they the come over, we hang out sometimes. But I, I get what you mean. <laughs> but was it? Like I told Ryan, I don't know if we talked about it on the podcast or not, but I'm really glad when someone like you comes because I talk a big game about the Durham freestyle scene and I still have an insecurity that it won't survive. So I'm glad that there's people like you who can be like, there were eight or nine different people that I freestyled with while I was here. But I wanted to ask, like, are you surprised at how many there are and whether you're surprised at how skilled some of them are? And the answer might be no, that's totally fine. But I'm just curious. Well, I always find it very like amazing how fast people can learn. And I thought it was amazing how fast you were including them in the gem, because that's something I've never seen. So you spend, let it be three minutes with them outside, and then you show them three things, a good throw, um, some kind of delay, like even if it's just for one, two seconds and a brush, and then they are going into the jam. I mean, they have to at some point understand that this is not normal in the community to write, go into every jam they, they see and that this can not be the right move in every context. But in the moment, they're super used to everyone's welcome in the jam and that's an amazing thing to teach people i think like no matter what skill you have that's why i started the sport because i didn't have the feeling i'm not welcome i had the feeling i am welcome i can join people want me there and this is something you do really good you learn their names and talk to them like say their names and yeah take them into the jam right away and make them part of the community and they are really good i mean um they get good very fast i've seen it because there were people who just started when i when i came on the first day i was there they were there for the first time so i could see that which which was really nice and um and yeah it's always the question are they going to keep doing that sport um i have the feeling that they really find it cool like also people who walk past are like oh that's cool so um as i already said in in different occasions that was not what i thought when i first uh, saw the um saw the sport but uh, yeah i kind of feel proud you know you can be in the middle of the meadow and in this uh, in this university do the sport and people think it's cool that also makes me feel good about our sport no one's thrown a tomato (laughs) yet so we're kind of on a roll (laughs) that's some high praise for the duke community james is having proud parent moments right now i had i was very proud parent today with ray i mean he came out of crazy little town today it was incredible okay do i have i go next yep okay this one's also on the winning theme underrated overrated or properly rated winning the party <laughs> <It'll> go, go. <laughs> i have the feeling you chose these topics because i'm here i'm not really sure about it mm. we haven't done our breakdown of being efficient at parties 
and <laughs> abusing the party system, but we'll get there. Well, again, it's, well, for me, it's underrated. And I also don't get the judging system, by the way. I like have the feeling that the judging system in the moment when it comes to raiding the party is who can, who's there the longest. But the people who are there the longest were mostly not they, the people who danced the most or put most of the energy into the party. But um, yeah, well, that's just me. I've No one told me yet what, what it's really judged on. Um, I've won the party officially once in my life. And that was still like kind of, I think that was beginning of last year, which was not really a moment to be proud of, to be <laughs> to be on a party at all. It was my first real bigger party in, in Corona times again. And it's nothing to, you know, like be proud of. But so um, I haven't won the party officially, but I love the parties, as everyone knows. I think it's uh, it's also part it's an it's an important bonding thing to you know, to as a community to to go out and have some fun besides frisbee, and not to take also tournaments so super seriously. Like to, yeah, exactly. Because this again was something I liked. Why I started, I went to the World Championships in Berlin in two thousand six to support friends, Bogislav Buhl and Hartmut Warman, and so I was not planning to start playing and but I saw that how like this is the most important tournament for the people here and they're still so supportive with each other they are still um yeah it's not very super perfect which I like there were drops so for some reason that kind of I like that because I thought okay it's not like these it's not like over perfect people trying stuff and I didn't have the feeling it was like over the top serious to everyone and I think the party helps to keep that going to show okay we are also friends and we are um, also here to have a good time with each other besides frisbee okay so I know you really meant that question for Ilka Ryan but I'll maybe surprise both of you by saying I think the party is underrated (laughs) and here's why so one of the great and horrible things about having Ilka here for so long is that she's like the opposite of a therapist because every day she says, here are all the negative things people think about you and here are all the things you've done wrong since the day you were born. And she really gives it to me of all the mistakes I've made in my life, which I do appreciate as sad as it makes me. (laughs) But one thing that she's pointed out about me that I do think is true is that, and it's probably true for you too, to a degree, is that me and you don't drink and we generally don't go to the party. We're not big party people for whatever reason. And according to Ilka, and I I believe this is correct because I feel like I've experienced that, other people perceive that as me and you being super aloof and cold (laughs) and disconnected. (laughs) So unless you happen to be at our dinner table where me and you might be talking, let's be real, it's probably me talking and you just sitting there smiling. (laughs) But... A lot of people don't get to know us because we're not at the party. That's what I said. Yeah, 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 you know, but (laughs) what she was really saying, the subtext, (laughs) given other things that she's told me while she's been here. But there is something we said about it. I mean, like, for me, I still get a lot 
out of the social aspect of the sport because I'm more of a small circle kind of person. So I really appreciate that I have a few really close friends in the sport. And when I go to tournaments, I usually make an effort to go have lots of smaller dinners with those people. But for other people who have wider circles, everyone in the sport is going to be someone you know pretty well and have a lot of information about that, a lot of information about them. And you get that from really taking advantage of the parties. And especially because this is such a relaxed sport and most people aren't really competing to try to win, why else go to the Frisbeers of the world unless you're taking advantage of the opportunity to spend time with your friends? Okay, I get that. And will I be at the party? Will I be at the cross club at 2 a.m. at Frisbeer? Absolutely not. <laughs> but I, I agree that if I were a better person, I would be there. And just to make clear, that's what I meant. I mean, it's easier to get to know people if you attend the communal stuff afterwards and i think it's totally fine if you don't if you're not a party person if you don't like boobs if you are more like you want one person to talk with and not 10 at the same time and you hate dancing for me it's totally fine if people don't join the party it's just although i do have a theory this is um, um this is real time i didn't think about this before and if you have children at home i am in a curse but within a clinical context so The difference between me and Ryan, because neither one of us, people don't get to know either one of us very much because we don't go to the party. But there's a key difference, which is that Ryan has resting smile face. So everyone sees him and thinks that guy's so nice. He's always smiling. I have a hard case of resting bitch face. So when you see me, you're like, that guy looks so mean. And you complain about this constantly when we're doing our routine. Yes. <laughs> I just look angry and sad all the time. And when I was a musician, constant complaints about it. When I would play music, it just, I looked so upset all the time. And people would always be like, are you having fun? And they'd be like, I'm having the time of my life. Can't you tell? And they're like, no, we can't. <laughs> That's funny. I'm surprised that Ilka's only won the party once. That's like hearing that James has only won, done the open sweep at Worlds once. And just this year. <laughs> It's not a stat you would expect. Well, well we, we know... Ilka really spiritually is the winner of many a party. <laughs> But yeah, as I said, and I would never um, change my performance because of the judging system. So I don't really need the judging system. So <laughs> try to be the one most of the time. Maybe the you need a coach. Like maybe I should be there at the cross club being like, Ilka, you got to get off the dance floor. <laughs> yeah. You got to save those legs. Drink this glass of water. <laughs> the optimal time to show up at finals is 11.29. Not any earlier, not any later. And make sure you nap on finals day between at least two of the rounds. Like these are the kinds of things you need to do to really win the party. And you got to get a lot of face time with Tom Leitner because I think he has a very important vote in the party winner. Like you got to be putting in the hours with him. True that. But don't follow him. But that's a story for another <laughs> podcast. All right. So who's next? I feel like it might be Ilka. Okay. So spinning. Brian? Underrated. Because I... No, underrated. It's the one thing that gives you diff and it's easy to see. It's probably like on the spectrum. There's like the people make those memes where they're the graphs and like on one axis, it's like it's worth a lot of points. Another one, it's like you actually get the points in real life. It's like at the very diagonal peak at the end because everyone knows what a spin looks like and you can do multiple of them and they look better when you do multiple and you get the credit. So 
underrated. Mm -hmm. It's interesting because you are already, and I'm putting two topics together now again, because my next topic would have been individuality in the sport. And like what, when I saw the sport for the very first time, I think the spinning part was that which I was like, oh, really? Like <laughs> you are dancing with the frisbee. So for me, it was not the thing which attracted me, you know, like I was like, I, I, and I, for a very long time, I didn't want to put work into spinnings because I just personally didn't like it or it's like not seeing it. But I get what you're saying, like, because I always understood that it's difficult. And I, yeah, and kind of now I want to prove myself that I can actually do it. So at some point I was working on, on spinnings because everyone did it. And I wanted to prove to, to me that I can also do it. But the part with the individuality is that I have the feeling that we kind of always all try, like many of us, not all of us, but many of us try to copy what other people are doing already. We are like maybe not so much thinking out of the box. And spinning is definitely something you have to learn if you want to have credibility in the sport, right? Would you agree or? Yes. Okay, yeah. I have a story. So like two months ago, I was talking to Ilka about what is the prettiest like spinning form. And we were just talking, like not actually like doing it. And Ilka's like, I think it's when they're all spread out and you travel a lot when you spin. And I'm like, well, that's very unorthodox, but I guess I can see it because <laughs> in dance, sometimes you spin and you try and travel really far. So I go home to Seattle and I record myself spinning, doing a double spinning barrel guide is five different ways. And I do one that's like really far spun out, like how I thought Ilko would want it. I do one tight one, like how James spins. And I do like a few like dancey variations. And I'm just like, I only included the base James model because every, that's how everyone spins. I'm like, Ilko's definitely not going to pick that one. And I'm like, send all five variations to Ilko. And she's like, the one where it's nice and tight is the best one. And I'm like, what? Oh, that goes against everything we <laughs> talked about for two hours at the party before I flew back to Seattle. <laughs> yeah, that shows again that I'm not good in theory. Because I was thinking it has to make sense if I'm, if I'm traveling. You know, like if I'm traveling, it makes sense to spin because there's actually a way I'm doing. But at the same time, yeah, I, I thought that looked the coolest. I'll defend your view, Ilka. And even though I'm very flattered that you're using my technique as the model for what you should do, but I learned my technique from Daniel because in 2014, Daniel was spit doing double spinning a certain way and I was doing double spinning a different way. And the way I was doing it is I was using the same set I used for any other catch. And I was setting the disc right in front of my body and I was spinning in one place and then I was catching the disc. Whereas Daniel was setting the disc like 150 miles away from himself and spinning very tightly and then leaping to go get it. And at Frisbeer 2014, we played together and we did this cool routine. I played terribly. He played amazing. And when I watched this routine and there was a couple of times where we mirrored each other, which as we all know, it's never perfect. And Daniel was doing these beautiful double spinning barrels and mine were super stunted. And I resolved to learn how to travel like him because that's what I found to be the big difference is that Daniel was setting it far away and traveling 
So I think the way to synthesize your views here is you should have tight spins and you want to keep upright and keep your balance. But I do think for almost every spinning catch, I try to set it further away from my body so that my spins cause me to travel there. And when I would practice spins, I would put tape in a line radiating out from my body and I would spin on that line with a end point in mind. Like I'm trying to spin from point A to point B. And so in that sense, I think Ilka is right. Okay. But can I also defend spinning? Like, because yep. Ryan did what Ryan does and he defended it on a judging system perspective. <laughs> but I want to just defend it aesthetically because, look, I think the vast majority of freestylers think spinning is cool. But there's definitely a somewhat vocal minority of people that like to put spinning down. And I think it's gone a little bit too far, in my opinion, because I think it's fair that spinning shouldn't be the end all be all. And it's probably overrated in the sense that you get more points than maybe you deserve. I don't know. Like it's really hard, but you know, I'm so used to doing it now that it doesn't feel very hard. And like among hard things that I do, I feel way safer going for a double spinning barrel guidance than doing lots of other things. So I get the frustration that it's like people who learn how to do doubles really well can compete with this huge advantage that other people don't have. But it's kind of like mixing up the causality. Like the reason why people like it and why the judging system rewards it and judges reward it is because most people think it's really cool. So it's easy to kind of push back against that, but there's a reason for it. It's not just like, there's no multiplier in the judging system that gives you more points for spinning. It's judges who are watching you do the move and they say, that's really cool. And that's really hard. I'm going to give you a high score for it. So there's like, like we've been having this conversation a lot where I'm like, we're not doing this because the judging system rewards it. The judging system rewards it because it's cool. Like there is this like, I got, this is one of my obsessions in life is mixing up the causality and I think we mix up the causality sometimes and spinning is really beautiful. My last thing on spinning is spinning helps consecutivity, I think, because my big goal for like next level consecutivity, because a base definition of consecutivity could be stringing your moves together without pausing or without thes and non-restricted moves, whatever, fine. That's base consecutivity. But the true masters of consecutivity the one true God, Matt Gauthier, for them, it's about tempo. It's like everything they do is at the same speed. And so it creates this sense of flow. And spinning can help with that because your body movement can maintain that tempo in situations where there would otherwise be nothing to keep moving. So for instance, you can't set it too high without spinning because there's going to be a pause while you're waiting for the disc to come back down. But with spinning, you can have that beautiful aesthetic that I think almost everyone agrees is nice of setting the disc really high and really far. And what are you going to do while it's really high and really far? You're going to spin because otherwise you're just standing there waiting. So I think spinning has a lot of value even to these really traditional freestyle aesthetics of keeping the disc in the air. But spinning gives you that thing to do while the disc is in the air. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. I think it's not intuitive, but spinning is restricted just naturally. Yeah. Agreed. I mean, I think I said this before, I think we've talked about this before, but it's like the move isn't worse because you spun, you know, it's, it's not, it's not like if you did a guidance and you added a spin, I'd be like, man, I love that guidance, but that spin, like, ah, just ruined it. 
<laughs> now it could be if it was a terrible spin, but like most of the time in my mind, spinning makes something like more exciting and if there's more risk involved and people seem to like risk, you're looking away from the disc for a lot of time. And I mean, there's something that's kind of almost silly about freestyle, which is we're trying to make our jobs harder. Like we are playing a game of throw and catch where we impede our ability to throw it and to catch it. We try to do as many, like there are times where people like are trying to, I'm teaching someone something like that's harder. And I'm like, that's the point. It's supposed to be harder. Like everything we do in freestyle is to make it harder. So spinning makes it harder. And I, look, I'll be careful. Like it should be beautiful. It should be aesthetic. I, I'm not saying like the whole point is to make things as hard as possible. We've talked before about how sometimes you can make something a lot better and a lot easier, but just as a general principle, freestyle is about impeding your ability to catch the disc and spinning fits well within that paradigm. Okay. Yeah. I agree with everything. Okay. James, are you up? I'm up. This is another one that will seem like I'm fishing for compliments, but I James really think... James seems to have a theme. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because I think both of you might have some negative things to say about this. Okay. But Ilka, underrated, overrated, or properly rated, building a routine with me. Okay. <laughs> Ryan, do you want to go first? Okay, no, go first. absolutely <laughs> not. Absolutely not. Ilka goes first. It is like, and I'm playing the lawyer again, it's so hard to generally answer that because we are two different characters who come together and we build a routine together and it could be totally a different experience with another person. So like this game is a little bit generalizing stuff, which is not really to generalize in my opinion. So I love to, uh, like so far, I love to make the routine with you. So we finished our routine. We will probably not change anything anymore. And I love it. But it was a process to, like with everyone, you know, we watched it again today. And we're like talking general stuff. Do we want to change something again? And me personally, I'm super happy with it now and I love it to be here. I mean, I'm in this house and we are kind of, I can live here. We spend a lot of time together. And um, so far, this is an amazing experience. So, and thank you, by the way, like putting so much time into it because not many people would have agreed to put so much work into it. And yeah, I love it. So if it's, generally like i i would say like i haven't talked with so many people about it to be honest to make a routine with you um i'm not sure if i talked to anyone about it but i could imagine that it's underrated but maybe other people have you have people told you they made a bad experience with you making a routine i don't um, know like i i was kind of curious because i feel like like I, and I'd be curious what she would say about this, but I think Zofia might have been a little bit worried because I think people who haven't played with me assume it would be a really intense, stressful process because like, I always have high expectations for myself and I've competed at a high level for a long time. And people, I think, generally will assume that people like that have an intense process. I mean, it's kind of like myth-making and it's true about a lot of like great players at different sports 
can be like very intense. So I'm always worried that people are afraid to sign up to play with me because they think it's going to be too scary. But I like to think that it's not like that, mm. you know, because it doesn't really need to be. And I, you know, like you said, everyone's different. So I think like me, Daniel and Paul have had very tense routine building situations. So it can really depend a lot on lots of different social factors and experience levels and kind of status in the sport. So all kinds of things can go right or wrong. So someone might be amazing to build a routine with, with one partner and a horrible person to build a routine with, with another partner. And there's nothing wrong with them. It's just how personalities interact. Like when we talked about this originally, we kind of talked about it, about like couples, you know, it's like mm. one person might be amazing for another person. It might be horrible for another. And I think there's something about that with routines too, but I also had an amazing experience building this routine with you. And I think I was also a little bit nervous because like you said, we do have kind of a different approaches to these kinds of things. And it's not always obvious that when you blend approaches, it'll work well. But I feel like we've both been very flexible and accommodating. And I think we've had a really seamless experience so far. Like there hasn't been too many stressful moments of looking at each other like, I hate you. <laughs> no. And it's all about communication, right? I mean, I'm, uh, I have my opinions and standpoints and stuff. I get also emotional about sometimes. And for me, it's very important that the other person I'm playing with is um, able to make compromises and also acknowledge that I also have experience in this i mean i have <laughs> i've been building i don't know how many routines in my life like i've been doing that a lot but and um but also if the other person hasn't made many routines yet i still am always um curious about their view on the thing and what they want to put into the routine to be proud of the routine and for me it's a lot a lot a lot of communication which already starts before I meet the person for the first time and for me the most important thing is that the other person is taking the this time to do that with me like to to spend time into the routine and not say okay yeah well, it's not so important. We're just going to freestyle in the end. Although, you know, for me, it's important to make a routine to to not get too nervous on the field. I'm basically not a very good freestyler. Like, <laughs> like if I go on the field and I don't know exactly what I want to do, I can get really insecure and then it's not a good experience for me. So that's... and. I mean, how much time have you spent with me on this routine? It's amazing. I love it. It's great. I'm going to give three, two or three negative things you said to me so that I'm not just talking about how great I am. <laughs> Ilka definitely, and I think she's right about this, definitely does not like my resting bitch face. Agreed. True. It's a problem. In different ways and at different times, Ilka has all but told me, do not speak to me during the routine. True. Whether it's positive or negative or about the wind, she's just like, do not open your mouth in the middle of the routine, which by the way, amplifies the resting bitch face problem because at least <laughs> normally I pair my resting bitch face with a lot of like, nice, like good job. But now I'm just dead silent, just staring at you <laughs> with dead eyes. And then I'm trying to think of other ones, but they're, you know, there's, I'm like, no one's perfect. I never ran right. into that silent requirement when I was playing with Ilka last year. 
Is why is that different for you than it is for me? I think you didn't do that so much. I just don't I talk. Mean, <laughs> that was the right, right. I don't remember you. Well, James wants to remind me how the routine goes on, although I know. And then at some point, I was like, I know. <laughs> I know that <laughs> this move is so, coming now. So, or I know the wind is there because I'm already in the right position. Like, why are you telling me? Because the moment he says something to me, the moment I think, okay, I do something wrong now, but I'm in the right position. And that brings me out of concept. And, oh, yeah. fair. So there's a, just to explain like where I come from with this, one, I talk more, I talk more period. I get it. We talk, we talk about this all the time. I know it's a joke. But I talk more when I freestyle because in New York, we didn't play with music. So we relied a lot more on banter to fill in the space in the sound when we played together. So like when Dougie and I would play together, we were constantly chirping at each other. Chirping is the wrong way. That's negative. But like we were constantly joking, laughing, talking, making fun of each other. So talking's always been a bigger part of freestyling for me than normal. But I'm actually so impressed and I actually put you in like the highest tier of people I played with in terms of remembering the routine because almost always when I play with people they have trouble remembering the routine and so I've always been in the habit of saying like I think the biggest request I get when I play with people is for them like when I play with Lori she'd always be like call out the co-op before we do it and I also forget the routine sometimes so like sometimes it's helpful for me when my partner calls it out and Sometimes I call it out and then you can say, nope. <laughs> and it's like, oh, <laughs> oh, thank goodness I said something. But I think you're also right, though, because it isn't that helpful. Because if I call out bad attitude and Ryan calls out soul brush, <laughs> it's like, uh-oh, <laughs> like, here we go. Like, it doesn't necessarily help you solve the problem. Um, but I actually really appreciate how well you remember the routine because there's this concept, classic James digression, I know. There's a concept in psychology about shared memory. So like long time couples have this where like one person in the relationship remembers certain kinds of things and the other person remembers other kinds of things. And one thing that happens when you lose a close friend or a spouse is you have this sense of memory loss because you lose a lot of these things that are part of you. Sorry, that's very heavy. Mm -hmm. But there's something about that in routine building, which is that like Ilka knows to stand, stand a certain way before our neuron co-op. And I'm looking for that position she goes into to know what to do but if she didn't do that it would probably break my brain and I would not necessarily remember right away what that co-op is so it's so important to not rely on your partner to tell you what the routine is because it's a collective effort to position yourselves in the way that kind of make clear to everyone that you're in the right spot doing the right co-op for the record and so yeah, and something just to complete the whole thing. The another thing we were talking about a lot was I was super worried about um, not being able to build a routine with you where I was not, you know, where I don't look like the one who's the super weak player. Which, like, I'm of course not like I'm far away from being as skilled as uh, James's but and but my wish was to kind of make a routine where it's not so obvious and I was kind of worried that we are not going to be able to do that but I think we did a good job now we had like a longer talking session about that again today and I needed that again to 
you know, to watch the video and to feel like in the end feeling really good about the routine. And but I, I really needed this talk too. So I mean, I'm not the easiest uh, partner you can get. I guess. I mean, I need, I need a lot of stuff to really feel good about about something. Sometimes, not with everybody, and not all the time. But yeah. So we did a good job. Yeah. <laughs> okay. In fairness, Ryan. Underrated, overrated, or properly rated building routine with me? Underrated for one reason. So you told me this a long time ago, but at the start of every routine partner session, you ask what are the goals, and then you structure everything else you do building the routine with your partner based on like that conversation. And I've done that with my, like when I pair up with people now too, I like always have the what are the goals conversation at the start. And it's really important. Yeah, it's kind of like work even, you know, or like when you're having a debate with someone or disagreeing with someone, you have to kind of decide, well, what's the end point that we're seeking? Because if we're seeking different ends, then we're going to be trying to do different things. But if we can agree that we're trying to do X, it becomes easier to negotiate the kinds of things you need to negotiate in a routine. You know, so like, I don't know, I can't think of an example, but like if, if our goal is, I guess the easy example is if your goal is to win it's a lot easier to be like, well, which of these two combos will get a higher diff score? And like, that's how you can structure the routine. Mm -hmm. Or like in, in the case with Ilka, it can be like, is this like starting to overshadow like your contributions? Like how can we make this co-op more equal opportunity or something? So like having those kind of conversations are, are super useful. Anyways, I'm glad this question led to some routine building advice and wasn't just a, <laughs> a love fest. But I think, I think maybe you're next, Ryan. I yep. Okay. Underrated, overrated, or properly rated? Having full contact on your roles. Okay. Um, uh, I would say underrated. I think it's yeah. I find it super beautiful and great if there's full contact. I mean, not with all the roles. It's actually, I think strategically the best thing to do i'm not sure like maybe i'm wrong maybe you can do it with all kind of roles but if people do it full contact it's i think not only for us in the community really beautiful but also for people who uh, look from the outside so a friend of mine like tried the roles and he was like oh yeah but i want to do it like you do it like full contact so even he is like someone who has doesn't know much about the sport. He saw that this is something you want to achieve, you know, the full contact role. And it's also a very good feeling. I love it when it happens. I'm always a little annoyed when it doesn't happen with me because it's just a different feeling and I love it. But again, it's if someone has a different style and wants to do it differently, like go for it. Like you have to feel good about it. Whatever you do, I think you have to have the feeling that it's you. And if it's not you, if that is not your move or you do it differently, then in my opinion, just do it differently. But for me, full contact is great. It's a great feeling, great. Looks great. Yeah. Yeah, I think everyone knows I'm obsessed with having full contact on all my roles. And obviously you don't always succeed. That's always my goal. Sometimes you have to compromise. I mean, there are situations, especially if you're setting to somebody else, where if the only way to set them properly based on what's happened 
is to lose that contact to give them a good set, that's what you should do. But your goal should always be, in my opinion, full contact, which I think you'll disagree with me, but I'll, I'll pass it to you in a second. But one thing I want to emphasize about this, and this is foreshadowing a topic we want to have on our podcast, there are certain kinds of moves that I think because they are fundamental and common, we assume they are maybe easy or basic. So basically everyone rolls different levels of precision and contact, but almost everybody rolls. And so if you're a new player, you see rolling and you think I'm going to learn how to roll. And you might not appreciate or realize that to learn a full contact roll that has any utility might take four or five years, which it probably took me at least that long, if not six or seven years. And I practice rolls every single day, constantly. Like that is how long it took to get to the point where I felt like I could do it. And another example, just to foreshadow, is people think they learn the delay once they can spin the disc on their finger indefinitely. But there are, are so many layers and levels and improvements that can be made even on the delay. So I often check myself and have to remind myself on certain things like, oh, I'm not as good at that as I think I am. And I have to be like, I like I'll take an easy example because I'm comically bad at it. And everyone teases me about it. I am so bad at foot tapping, like flat foot taps. I'm so bad at them. And like, I'm sure there was a point whenever it was eight years ago where I just assumed I could do that because I thought I was a good player and foot tapping is basic. But I had to do it a few times, mess up a hundred in a row and be like, actually, I'm not good at this. So all I'm trying to say is take the time to get it right if you value contact like Ilka said like some people might not value that and that's totally fine but it's supposed to be hard it is hard so don't be discouraged if you're working on the role and you're not finding that contact because it might take you years and that's just part of the process that was a very well thought out intricate answer to like a complex situation but i'm gonna have a blunt answer and say <laughs> it is overrated because the best crosswind set is jake's roll set that goes across the entire jam and gets guide us at the end. And that is a bumpy, unpaved gravel road going across. But it is the perfect angle and height when it comes out. And I don't know if that's possible to do with a full contact roll. Very good point. We've talked about this. I think we just haven't seen it yet. So I personally think, and I need you to come out here to see, I said it took me maybe five years to get a full contact roll. I'm on year 12 or 13, and I'm getting closer to a good full contact crosswind set, but it still is probably another five years away. So maybe it just takes 17 to 20 years to get it down, but I think someone could do it. And I think that's actually the best example of something that people think they can do, but they can't do it. And that was a big one for me. I assumed because everyone said I was such a great roller that I could do a crosswind roll set. And it wasn't until year eight or nine that I realized, actually, no, I cannot do it. And like, I don't want to name names, but I think there's only like two or three players in the world that can actually do even a bumpy crosswind roll set with any consistency. Like that's how rare it is. And those are bumpy ones. So maybe one day, like if people really focus on it and recognize early on how hard it is, Maybe by year six, they could do it or some prodigy could do it right away. But 
I do kind of agree with you that it hasn't been done yet with consistency, but I believe I'm getting closer. But I'll give you one example of someone I do think was pretty good at it, but needed to be set up by somebody else and needed a very specific kind of set that's kind of rare. But Cindy Kruger or Cindy St. Mary, I should say, was really good if you gave her a very flat bump set, rolling that out crosswind with pretty decent contact. I do think sometimes she would kind of brush it at the last minute, but she had much more contact than the average person. So I think I think there's a possibility, but it's going to be an extremely advanced technique. Yeah. It's like the scoop brush where, I mean, it doesn't look like anything, but it's hard. It's so hard to scoop brush it. Or the foot scoop brush, the elk kick. <laughs> it's hard. Um, anything you want to add to that? Okay. All right, Elke, do you have any more? Well, um, I had the one with the individuality, but I kind of already said a little bit about it. Um, well, I want to ask you yeah. then, overrated, underrated, or properly rated indies? Uh, jam, competition, what are we talking about? You can All pick, of the above. Yeah. Well, in competition, I think it's overrated. I think it's Especially now we are that we are having only three minutes in my pair's routine. There's not really a reason to have indies anymore. You could make way more co-ops. And, um, but it can fit. I mean, you know I'm a fan when it comes to it has to fit to the music. So there could be decisions where a certain indie... Um, like the machine gun or something like that is. Do not actually, speak of machine gun in my presence. <laughs> I will not choice. condone that move. <laughs> Sorry, Paul. So um, there are, you know, there are moments where it can get necessary, but I think in the in the past it was it has been done too much, and um, in a jam, I also prefer jams where there are not so many indies. So where it's uh, like maybe a little later in the gem when there's already a flow created. So I'd rather be in a flowy um, situation, which normally doesn't doesn't come when there are like many people doing indie after indie after indie all the time. So Ryan, I think it is properly rated because in certain situations, it's really great to have an indie like in both the jam and competition you can like there's like a point where when the new player gets the disc for the like okay so at the end of the jam you're doing last catch that's when the indie is a good time to indie so in that case it's properly rated but in all other cases that are not time to indie it is overrated yeah so i'm gonna go with underrated but for not the reasons people might think so i actually completely agree with ilka on the competition front and I will say, if you don't have time to build a routine or you're just like crunched like a lot of us are, I get using indies to fill space. So I'm not going to begrudge anybody who puts indies in their routine because it was the easiest thing to do to get it out the door. But with that said, all else being equal, you have the time to build co-ops that do all the cool stuff you want to do without requiring an indie. So... My goal generally is to not have any indies in my routines. I think the one exception to that is sometimes with double disc where you do like mirrored stuff or like there's different, there's reasons for double disc where indies will come up more, 
but they're serving a particular purpose. They're not meant to like highlight you doing an indie. So I agree with Ilka on that front, but I kind of, I've talked before about the value of indies in a learning context. I'm not going to go over that again, other than to say, I think indies are super helpful for new players to develop their skills. So I think if you have a new player in your scene, you would do well to give them lots of freedom to do indies so that they can work on new things. Cause it's a lot easier to do things when you have control over them than when you're trying to fit that into a co-op. Now, I hope Ilka will agree, but like we have a pretty co-op heavy freestyle scene in Durham, especially given how new everyone is. At least I spend a lot of my time just like setting people, tipping back, downwind. Like I'm with less skilled players, I try to be just like like Ilka will tell, I'm just running around like a crazy person in the middle, just like gonna set you here, gonna grab it, gonna throw it here just to keep it moving so it feels more like a real jam, even though the players aren't that skilled. But I do want to kind of say like one thing I felt like I experienced as a younger freestyler, and I will admit that I was probably way too indie focused as a new freestyler. And I have a lot of regrets about that. And, but I also want to defend it a little bit because people were really like mean and moralistic about it. They weren't just saying like, Hey, you're doing too many indies. That would be fine. But they were saying like, you're really selfish because you're doing lots of indies. But here's what I want to say about that. It is selfish to do indies when that's not the expectation. So we've talked about expectation before. If you're in a jam where everyone else is doing co-ops and you're doing indies, that's a problem. I know I did made that mistake sometimes when I was a new player and that was not cool. That's a problem. But having a jam where the expectation is a certain amount of indies, I think is not only perfectly fine, it has the same relative moral value as a jam with co-ops. Because if I do an indie and then you do an indie and I do an indie and you do an indie, we both had the disc the same amount of time. Like we are sharing with each other. You're sharing your vision. I'm sharing my vision. And I'm usually drawing on what you did in my indie and you're drawing from me in your indie. So I still see patterns in, in jams with indies as very community-based and community-focused and sharing. And I just want to say that because I don't want us to be too like patronizing about co-op and mob op is the only way to freestyle and any other way of freestyling is selfish and not okay. Cause I do think sometimes we push that on people and I don't think it's right. And I was a product of where I learned how to play. New York is a very indie focused scene. And I think that's kind of what led me wrong a little bit when I was a newer player, but it also really helped me grow. And to this day, when I go to New York, it feels like I'm sharing a lot when I'm playing with other people and watching what they can do. I'm especially curious what you think about this, Oka. About? Like, like when I'm like trying to defend indies, are you like rolling your eyes? Like, oh my God, like here's the, here he goes. Like indies are so lame and selfish. Like a general, like you. In, a... in general or me, whatever you want to attack is fine. <laughs> it, that, but that's, that's what I said. Like it, Depends on the moment. Yeah. Because if you fire a gem up to a certain point where everyone is doing indies for a while, yeah, that is totally fine. So there is a certain moment in in a in a gem where indies are also appropriate in my in my opinion. But you never get to this point, in my opinion, if there is not this flow moment in the in the beginning where everyone is participating and you get this group dynamic. 
So one thing that's been fun with you here is you'll say something like, you said X on the podcast and here you are like not living that out. So one thing I want to ask you about is I said on the podcast at some point that, especially with the newer freestylers I have, most of the time I spend trying to co-op so that I can use my skills to make the jam better for them. But there are times every now and then where I feel like I need to do an indie to kind of like set a bar for them to aspire to and also keep them fired up to be like, okay, like maybe nothing that cool has happened for a while. And I want to remind you that this sport can be cool. So I'm going to try to do some dunkish combo. (laughs) So with me saying that, do you feel like I'm succeeding at that? Or am I doing too many indies or am I doing Uh, not enough indies? Like, what do you think based on your jams here? You don't do that in the beginning. So you first put a lot of time, like in my perception, you were um, first doing a lot of co-ops, making good sets. And then when everyone is getting tired a little bit, then you try to motivate them by doing indies. And I think that's a good way. Because, I mean, when I've met James, um, we had a jam together. I didn't know him. I never heard about him because I'm not someone who's watching videos or following the scene. I'm just normally interested about people I actually meet. So, um, and we had like a a lone jam, the two of us at Prague um, at this theater. It's a theater, right? Yeah. And then... um, it was like half an hour. I don't know how long. It was a pretty smooth jam. And then other people joined. And suddenly he like took out these crazy moves like he hasn't done in the whole 30 minutes. And I was like, oh, so you totally downgraded your skills when you played with me. And now these other people are coming in. And now you actually show what you can do. And I didn't find that very honest. So I would like to know what a person is able to do from time to time in a jam, like and but also interact act with me. So that was just um, so I don't see that negatively. You yeah. So we've talked about this. I don't remember it as specifically. So I don't really I can't say honestly, like what my motivations were. But like my defense always was been there is this tricky balance between this ideal of adjusting your play to the people around you and like i'm careful about saying this because at that time especially like you were probably a better player than me so like but i mean this was a long time ago this is like 2011 or 2012 so like please when you're hearing this story put yourself in that time frame um so like we talk sometimes about like like a randy sylvie ideal was play to the people around you um so like in that sense it would be appropriate and under this view, if it's right or wrong, to say, I'm playing with someone who might not be as skilled as me, so I should kind of dumb down my game to fit them. But then another view is like, that's disrespectful, like play to their level. And and like and I think there's merit in both. And it's sometimes hard to balance that. It's also totally possible, kind of like what you just said. I was like easing into things. And then like, as the day went on, I'll get into my last catch mode. Because I think we all kind of agree that as the day goes on, indies and crazier stuff becomes more acceptable and there's less of a focus on catching and more of a focus on experimenting but i don't know i i i totally believe that your perception of that was correct and i i should have been like a little bit 
more nuanced in my views, but I just want to point out that like that is kind of the balancing act that people sometimes have to deal with. And sometimes you don't strike it the right way. Yeah, I mean, it's totally, it's totally fine. It's just because I didn't know you. <laughs> it was a little off. I mean, frankly, I'm surprised I wasn't just trying to blow your mind with all my <laughs> crazy tricks. So I don't know. I must have been in a bad mood or something. I don't know why I wasn't trying to impress you. I mean, it's funny now, like, to put another spin on it, now that I am where I am, and Dan and I were actually complaining about this together, when I go to a new place, which hasn't happened very much, but it happened recently, it's so weird and stressful because of all the expectations that come in, and I don't really know what to do. So, for instance, I went to Toronto for the first time this year. I'd never been there before. I hadn't met a lot of the freestylers there. And on the one hand, I was like, I really want to bring the show. Like, these people expect me to do amazing things. I want to be able to do that. But as Dave and I were complaining, like, there's almost no way we can ever live up to the imagination of what, like, a top player should be. Because even with, like, the Matt Gothers of the world, like, most of what you do when you're jamming is pretty run-of-the-mill. It's like, I'm going to set it to you downwind. I'm going to brush it to you and whatever. It's like... There's not that many times a day I'm going to do a crazy move. And as we all know, half the time the conditions are terrible and you can't do anything cool anyways. So sometimes it can be hard to live up to people's vision of you wherever you are in the skill level. But obviously it's worse for more experienced players. But this is kind of like a funny, funny thing you have to deal with sometimes. Okay, so I'm out of questions. Ryan, I think we have been neglecting you. Do you have more I have two more. I also have one more. Okay, so Ryan, Ilka, Ryan. Okay. Okay. Underrated, overrated, or properly rated? Having nuts in your ice cream. So like Rocky Road. (laughs) I'm not a fan of... Overrated. Nuts and... uh, Overrated. Yeah. Well, it's... um, It's... It sticks in your teeth if you don't have... Uh, what is it called? Floss with you? Then this. <laughs> Ilka, do I <laughs> look like someone who flosses? Pardon me. <laughs> do I do I look like someone who flosses? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. Yeah, I don't, I don't I have know. the strength or patience for that. <laughs> every every time I go to the dentist, they're like, "Do you floss?" I just say, "No." <laughs> and they're like, "You should do that." And I'm like, "I know. <laughs> I should do a lot of things differently." <laughs> <laughs> so it's actually funny you asked this because yesterday I was at the airport and. They, I, of course, it's me. So I got a brownie with ice cream and they had some pecans or something on it. And up to about last year, I would never, I never like nuts with ice cream or brownies or anything. But I found myself pouring the nuts on the ice cream. And I had this moment where I kind of like you have when you're like 12. I was like, I'm a grown up now. Like, I like, <laughs> I like nuts in my dessert. Like, I'm so sophisticated. <laughs> I was like very, very pleased with myself. But it, it took 31 years, but I finally like, nuts in my dessert <laughs> i don't actually know what your view is though overrated it's like having mm. soggy croutons in your salad <laughs> no i'll pretend i'm your mom and say like when you grow up ryan you will understand that nuts and broccoli are very delicious what you just described though is different where you pour it on after so like if there's a hot fudge sundae and there's like crushed nuts on top of it that's very different than rocky road well i also like it when the nuts kind of like melt into or like they have a consistency that's close enough 
to the surrounding substrate that it kind of meshes in. Because I do kind of agree, like if you have the really hard chocolate chips, for instance, and like a cake or brownie, I don't like that. But if they kind of like melt into it, then I think it's delicious. <laughs> okay. All right. That was a quick um, one. Okay. okay. I've got a maybe a little longer one. So this podcast, overrated, underrated, properly rated. That's such a good one. <laughs> <Yeah>. Ryan? <laughs> underrated. I think I always say we need more talking content. And we're making talking content. It doesn't have to be even that good. I mean, James is carrying us right now. And Ilka too, but... Just getting more content out there is so valuable. So it's underrated. I would love to say overrated and sound like so down to earth and so self-aware. But I'm also going to say underrated because it took so much for me to get to the point. Like Ryan's been basically begging me to do stuff like this for so long. And I've been so uncomfortable with putting myself out there in this way. Like I've talked before, like I've never had a problem posting my freestyle videos because I'm not talking and 300 people are going to watch them. Like, who cares? Not a big deal. But to actually talk in real time, I have no idea what questions you guys are going to ask today. I could easily say something dumb or get something wrong or say something. Like, Ilka is constantly telling me that everything I do is perceived negatively and people just assume the worst about me. So I know that I'm going to say lots of things that just annoy people and make them like me less. I hope at the same time there are things that I can do that can make people understand me more and maybe like have a different view of me that's hopefully positive. So it cuts both ways, but it's been, it was very hard to get to this point to feel ready to do this. But I agree with you, Ryan, that we just don't have enough content. It goes back actually, I think to our first question of like, what can we do to keep legitimizing our sport, have more things for people to engage with? Because I think the more engagement people have in the sport, the more involved they're going to become, the more they're going to volunteer to do tournaments, the more they're going to help spread the jam. Like all this stuff is additive. There's really almost no drawback at this point to having content like this. So I think it's underrated for that sense. Like even if we're terrible at this and our podcast is a complete disaster, the fact that it exists, I think is important. So it's maybe also a little easy, like early to talk about that in the moment because this podcast doesn't exist uh, for so long and I haven't talked to many people about it. Um, so I'm not really sure, but I am kind of worried that it becomes uh, overrated. Okay, I'm going to try to <laughs> say what I mean with it and I can be a little bit hard on you. So, but... The thing is, um, you guys have like a lot of um, resources in different ways. You have, you put a lot of time into the sport. You ha have a lot of um, abilities, intellect, where you, you know, can create stuff and form the sport. And then you do this podcast and put it in the world. And there I'm with you, Ryan. There is not enough content yet. So yours is the only podcast. So my worry is that people, especially people who are not yet in the community, take what is shared in this podcast as like the truth. And I'm looking forward to more perspectives on the podcast anyways. I mean, you are going to in invite people. But, you know, my, my constant worry is that there are a lot of perspectives of people who don't have the resources or the ability to put themselves out there or to create 
and that this uh, changes the the sport in in a in one direction. And um, yeah, there's no criticism in this. I I think it's very nice. I listen to every episode of this podcast. But um, something I'm, I have said on many occasions is um, I'm not a big fan of, for example, the question, um, how do we get more women in the sport? For example, I'm more a fan of the question, what obstacles are there um, that for people to join the sport, no matter who? And like, what are these obstacles? And we, I think, sometimes don't see these obstacles because we don't see or can listen to the people who experience these obstacles. I'm making this feel very white now, you know. But yeah, you have like two very present people in this community, which is great, but there are others who are not that present. And I'm just worried that new people listen to this podcast and just say, okay, this is how how things work and the main opinion about stuff. So yeah. I know one thing I think Ryan's going to say, which I'll pitch to you to say. So I totally agree. I mean, in other contexts, there's lots of times where we try to say, like, look, we are two Americans who have the money and resources to do X, Y, and Z, and that can change our perspective a lot. And, like, I I do understand, like, Daniel's also sort of complained that it's, like, basically only our perspective. But I guess my response is, like, there are certain things we can't do, right? Like, no matter what, like, I have a perspective and you have a perspective and the, that's all we got. Like I'm trying to give an example. Like I really like the Bill Simmons podcast, but I would never complain like, God, like Bill Simmons goes on his podcast and all he does is express his opinions. <laughs> it's like at a certain <laughs> point, like you can only express your own opinions. Um, but there are things we can do. Like we want to have more guests. Like we're super fired up that you're our first guest. Um, we're a little bit limited because we're trying to do guests like in person with proper audio and not have like, the zoom problems and things like that. Um, which is going to be a big joke when our audio is completely messed up because we have no idea if we're recording this properly. So sorry if this sounds a little bit bad, but like the big thing is that there's only so much we can do. And the best thing to do, if you feel like your point of view is not being made is to try to do whatever you can. And I get that not everyone's going to have the resources to do X, Y, and Z, but like post on the freestyle frisbee players page, like, if you do have the resources, do make a podcast. Like, we're happy to help you. We'll go on your podcast and support it and tell people to go listen to it. Like, we're open to having other people do this and express their views. We don't want it to be a, a monolithic thing. Um, but it's kind of like how you've talked earlier in the jam context of like, this is an open community. Everyone's invited and everyone's invited to participate in whatever ways they can in whatever ways they feel comfortable. And if you want to come on or you have something to say, like reach out to us. Like I can't guarantee that we can accommodate everybody or will accommodate everybody, but we're happy to take input. And it kind of goes to what we say all the time of like, write us. Like we do have people write us and we do get some negative feedback and we're happy to get that and try to learn from that. And like, we are gonna make mistakes. Like as far as I know, we haven't, got canceled yet <laughs> like please be patient with us because we're gonna say something wrong we're gonna say something stupid about whatever because we're doing this in real time like we have our blinders on sometimes and just let us know and we'll try to learn from it and grow from it okay 
So yeah, we need more podcasts. Yep. I want a second podcast. <laughs> I will help produce it. I will tell you everything you need to do to set it up and get your audio correctly recorded. And I can tell you all the, all the steps you need. Like the talent is what we're missing right now. And I think we have it in the Frisbee community. We just, I think people don't know how valuable their voice is because they're comparing it to us. But like, that's not the point. You want it to be different. Like I, we need content that doesn't sound like James and I talking about math <laughs> all the time. Yeah. Also, don't sweat English. Like, don't worry about it. If I mean, one thing that's kind of a bummer is that English is kind of the universal language of freestyle. And it's sort of sad because there's so few American players left. It's like me and you speak English. So we have a huge advantage or like we're native speakers, I should say. So we have a huge advantage in being able to like communicate our views and express ourselves. And everyone else has to like deal with the fact that they're going to have to do a lot of freestyle related things in English. But like, don't let that stop you. Like, I want to hear what you have to say about freestyle. Like, I will listen to your freestyle content and, and it'll actually be fun for us because it'll help us. Like, I would love to be able to come on this podcast and be like, I listened to Ed O'Turi's podcast last week and that guy's an idiot. And here's what he said. I'm kidding. He's a genius. I love Ed O. Um, but like that would be kind of fun to have more viewpoints to interact with on the show because there's something about being a content producer in freestyle in general, which is you feel like you're shouting into the void. It's like the number of times I just make a video and I put it up there and it's like, cool, I got 10 views this week. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Like super fired up, but it makes a difference when we're all kind of working together and doing stuff. But the thing I thought you were going to say, Ryan, because I was hoping you would like take the bait from Ilka and get like aggressive is I thought you were going to be like, we want to push the sport towards our views. Cause I think there's an element of that. Like I do think there's things that we value that we'd like to see more of in the sport, I but I think that's going to be true of anybody, right? Like it's not like we're a cabal with like evil intentions to make people be like us, but it's like, I care about consecutivity and I want to push that. And like, I care about, you know, just like being better freestylers and better jammers in the ways, I mean, I'm, it's, I'm, being like purposely obtuse here. You might disagree with me about what it means to be a better freestyle and a better jammer, but like, that's my goal. It's not an evil goal to make you look like me or play like me. It's a goal to be like, I have things that I think are better that make you a better player. And I want to present those to people and hopefully they find them helpful. But if you disagree or you have a different way of doing it, that might be helpful to other people with different visions. It's important for you to get out there and, and make that known. Yeah, I definitely want that segment. I don't know what we're going to call it yet, but its working title is Devil's Advocate, but that's probably not. Cool. All right, I think you have one more question, and then I have a non-rated, underrated, overrated, properly rated question for Ilka that I'm very excited about. Okay. Okay, last one. Underrated, overrated, or properly rated? The stripe on Adidas pants. (sighs) Great question, Ilka. What kind of question is that? What the stripe on Adidas pants? Yeah, I'm sure James is wearing pants right now with like a white stripe that goes down the leg. No, I am not, Ryan. He doesn't. But I mean, it's just the, how do you call it, corporate design? So it's just, it makes sense for Adidas to do that. And I think it looks good. I'm frank. I know I wear Adidas pants and pretty much only Adidas pants. I'm sick of it. But the problem is I've never found a pant I like better. Like, it's the only thing that's worked for me. 
And sometimes I look back at videos before I wore Adidas and I'm like, well, that looks terrible. So at <laughs> least the Adidas are kind of, I don't know, they're acceptable to me. But like the pants I'm wearing now, I have a bunch of these pants I bought and I tried jamming in them and they just didn't work for me. But the Adidas is distracting sometimes. Like sometimes I'm wearing my Adidas shoes, my Adidas pants, and like my Adidas beanie. And I'm just like, I look ridiculous. <laughs> but it just, it works for me. So I don't know what else to do. So what brand is that? Viore. Never heard of it. It's this like newfangled, fancy athleisure company that's on all the podcasts. But my friend was visiting and he had a pair of these. And he was all like, like he would not talk about anything but these pants. So I finally bought them. And I do admit they are like the most comfortable pants that I love wearing when I'm working and just hanging out. But when I freestyle in them, it's just, it's not quite right. <laughs> Sounds like you're properly rated, James. Yeah, I mean, it's it's more like only option at this only, point. Oh, okay. What do you think? It's underrated because it extends the line of the leg. It's like, even in ballet, my dance teacher talks about Whenever someone wears Adidas pants, the ballet even, she'll talk about it and like how it makes the line really pretty. Hmm. That You know what? That's true. So there are two situations that happen every year in freestyle when the weather changes that are very noticeable to me. It's like the first day it's cold and you're trying to jam and you're like, oh, I'm like 25% worse because of the weather. I have <laughs> another adjustment when the weather gets warm and I switch to shorts. And I'm like, I am really ugly right now. And I need to relearn how to play in shorts in a way that doesn't make me look super lanky and weird. So I do agree that like Adidas pants, but also sweatpants in general, can hide a lot of aesthetically unappealing aspects of your form. But you can make the adjustment with shorts, but you actually have to, I have to think about it more when I'm playing in shorts to play a different way to make sure my form is tolerable. But the first like few days, I'm always like, oh man, I look so bad. Right. By the way, something that people ask me a lot is they're like, do you ever not play in sweatpants? And I'm like, what are you talking about? I wear shorts 92% of the time. I only wear sweatpants if it's cold. But I I don't know. I must just make like, I don't, I actually have no idea why people think that. Like look, most videos I make, I'm wearing shorts. They just don't remember. It's like selective thing. Remembering, I guess, selective memory. You yeah, know, all the cool, like, you must look so much better in pants that that's <laughs> blocks out the rest. That's probably what it is. I'm probably wearing shorts and they're like, you are, you look so bad free sun right now. Like, do you ever do that? And it's like, no, I'm just adjusting right now. So I'm going to look bad for a couple of days. <laughs> okay. Okay. You ready for my question? I'm workshopping this. Like I'm thinking of how I could make this into a segment. So I don't know if I'm calling it right now, either the two doors or freestyle purgatory. So you die and you wake up and you're in purgatory what and Sorry. That's the place between heaven and hell. It's called purgatory. Oh, it's oh, it's the Catholic thing. Okay, yeah. <laughs> and there's whoever's there, St. Peter. And he's like, there's two doors, Ilka, for you to choose. Mm. In one door, you can freestyle with any player in the world whenever you want at any time, except for one player. Because in the second door... You can jam with Stefan Dunkel. <laughs> Which door do you choose? Oh, that's so mean. It's it's a hard question. 
I have to go with all the gemmers. Oh, because my count, because, <laughs> because so my, I'm so sorry, Dunk, but my counter skills are so limited. I mean, I would get awesome. You have eternity, young guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know, <laughs> but <laughs> nah, but like, if you spend too much time with people, then they lose their, um, you know, status, right? <laughs> I feel like it would be like in a relationship. When someone wishes their partner with someone else and they're like, maybe you can try this shirt on and like put your hair up. So you'd be like, you'd grab some freestyle and be like, maybe you could play more counter. <laughs> like, have you tried kicking more? Like, you would just try to turn them <laughs> into a dunk so that you could get the best of both worlds. But the joke here for people that don't know is Ilka's favorite player, and no one's even really close to him in your mind, <laughs> is Stefan Dunkel, who is a fantastic player who I love. But no one loves him more than Ilka. And I've always found it incredibly touching and amusing. And cheers to Duke. Every time I hit a cool move, I look at Ilka and I'm like, Dunkish? <laughs> and she'll give me the yes or the no. And I, I'm not sure who made this public, by the way, because I have never told him, but people told him. Oh, it was, uh, it was 100% me. I feel yeah. like it's all I ever talk about <laughs> with you. I don't remember how it first came up with you, but like, there's some conversation you had where you were just like raving about Duke and I found it so yeah, amusing. You probably asked me who is your favorite player and I told you. Maybe. It's probably fishing for compliments and then no, but I think No, but I think it was more than that because I think you were just like, he's the best. <laughs> it's like, you're like, nobody can touch him. And I was like, okay. And like, that is your memory. I, I don't think I would say something like that. I'm always very diplomatic saying for me, he's... I love Duke. Duke, my, as I told you, Duke player. and Vuvu Vander were like two of yeah. the first like pro freestylers who played with me. And I remember being super, super fired up about it. So I, I love Duke, but I just always find it super funny that Oka's favorite player is Duke. But believe me, I wasn't fishing for comments because I know I'm not that high on your list of favorite players. Like you repeatedly tell me all the different things I do that you don't uh, like. It's a style thing. It's right? like it's like what I'm spinning over there. You're like, oh god, the spinning, like this idiot. What is he doing? <laughs> spinning. What a joke. Yeah. yeah, I mean, people like different styles. So agreed. I don't know who my favorite player is. Well, it's Makov here. What am I? Who am I kidding? <laughs> It's so obvious. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes I forget, but yeah, I love Matt. Who's your favorite player? I think I know, but who's your favorite player, Ryan? I don't think I... It might be you. I was thinking it'd be Jake Gauthier. But the the best friend list is not sorted in that order. Interesting. Yeah. I feel like that's a good question to ask people when they come on. Like, who's your favorite player? Because like one thing that is kind of cool is that it's is very different. Like, I've always thought in my, like, this is one of my own, like, insecurities, I guess, but I've always felt like I have a bad ratio of, like, skill to how many people consider me their favorite player. Like, I think, like, I have a very high skill level, but I don't think very many people would consider me their favorite player. But, like, I think Daniel is the opposite. Obviously, Daniel's one of the best players in the world. Like, I put him in my top five, but I think Daniel, for a lot of people, is, like, their favorite player. Like, they love how Daniel plays. Like, Randy's another example. Like, I don't think Randy was necessarily one of the best players, but I think for a lot of people, he was their favorite player. And I actually think it's like a really cool avenue that you can pursue. Like you don't need to become the best player who can do everything. You can become a player that everyone loves for what you do. 
Um, but like, I don't know, maybe I'm misguided about that. I have to be careful when I talk about things like that because like, I get that I'm in like a weird position, so I don't want to say something dumb. But I think Ryan and me have, we have the same uh, favorite female player, right? I think so. I know we had this discussion, but I can't remember what my answer is. I just have my new 2023 <laughs> answer. Oh, is it? Okay. Yeah. Is it so, Juliana Corver? No, it's Cindy. It's Cindy. Oh, it is Cindy. Okay. I yeah. forgot. I haven't seen Cindy in a long time. Yeah, that's a no-brainer to me. It's it's probably Cindy or even Lisa. Like, I really respect Lisa's game as a jammer, like, especially. Like, I think Lisa is one of the best people I've ever jammed with. I'm always so impressed. Like, impressed is the wrong word. It sounds patronizing. Like, she's, like, won a thousand world titles. But, like, every time I jam with her, I'm just like, wow, this is incredible. Like, just her read of the game. But again, some of that might just go down to like, we see things a similar way, but whenever we jam together, it's just super fluid and flowy. And I really appreciate her game. But Cindy, easy, easy answer. Yep. Scarecrow brush, like it's no joke. It's no joke. I also think I would have liked Gina Sample. I think she would have been maybe my favorite, but I wasn't, I've never seen her play in person. and wasn't exposed to her very much. Cindy was the, I think the only player I've met and had like these fan girl moment where I was like kind of oh no I don't I, I can't play now I'm not I can't play with Cindy her can throw I a chicken know. wing to herself that's impossible yeah I don't know how you do that also Amy Beckin is incredible just want to put that out there <laughs> like, she's got a good combination of the aggro strength and power of Cindy but also the finesse of you know, Amy. So there's some good players to choose from. Mm -hmm. Awesome. So with that, I guess we're done here. Ilka, do you have fun? Yeah. Uh, thanks so much for inviting me. I was a little nervous about this because it's not about telling a story, but um, sharing opinions. And See, um, it's hard. It's, it's and scary. I think, I, yeah, it's scary. And I, I think I just uh, didn't play really. I played a little bit against the rules with your overrated, underrated, properly rated game, but, <laughs> but I hope it was okay. And, I'll yeah, write thanks. you your first hate mail, just so it's from a friend, <laughs> and that way you'll feel safe. Come again? I'll write your first hate mail. Oh, okay. Do you have this? Do you have hate? Is there a concept of hate mail? In yes, yes, yeah, but I already got some because of my job so mm, you're not the, okay, okay. you're not the first um unfortunately that's um yeah and thanks i feel very honored to be the first one being the first external person on this podcast yeah let's just cross our fingers that this audio worked um <laughs> if it's a little if it's a little rough thanks for listening anyways hopefully you could understand what we were saying and keep listening check us out at clockercounter.com send us an email send us your hate mail Send us your perspectives at clockercounter at gmail.com and we'll put them up here. I think next time we'll do some listener questions. Uh, we really appreciate having you listen and we'll talk to you next week.